good evening, brothers and sisters. Today, uh, I'll be reading four verses from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 11 to verse 14. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who, so that we who were the first <clears throat> to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Thank you. The text is is indeed the climax. So, what is it with Paul? How is inheritance going to be a climax of the story? And Paul sets this up for us in the verses just prior. So, um, let me just read those again. Pastor Micah preached on these verses last time. But it's the setting for what Paul is saying here about inheritance. In verse 9, make known to us the mystery of God's will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So he's speaking about the climax of history, and now he moves directly into the meaning of that climax to us, and he speaks of it in terms of our inheritance. It's not merely the story here of heaven and earth that Paul is telling about. It's our story. It's the story of the church. And as he leads up to the, the conclusion of this section, he, he, he talks about the church as the climax of the story in verses 22 to 23 of the first chapter. Not only did he put all things under Christ's feet, but he also gave Christ as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, of course, Paul is not interested just in telling us the end of the story. Uh, he's not just interested in convincing us that it's true. He has a pastoral purpose for us. He has a design for us. He cares for us as the people of God, and he wants us to draw us into the story. He wants us to have an appetite for the end of the story, he wants us to be filled with longing. 
Now, we are not at the point of history where the curtain closes and the credits roll yet. We are still in history. We are still engaged. We are in the action. Our breath is still coming in short gasps. Our hearts are still beating an extra beat. This is not the strain of anxiety. It's the strain of confident longing. A longing that is certain. And this is right where Paul wants us. As Pastor Micah gave a taste for us last week. And the Apostle Paul in this text is feeding our longing. He's setting fire our desire. So that's what we will be expecting in this text. Now this, the cosmic setting for this is meant to be a trigger. When Paul references heaven and earth, it's meant to be a trigger. It delves into the deepest part of who we are as human beings. It goes back to the very beginning of our story. And what is the beginning? In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. God created these two realms, one visible and one invisible. And within these, between these two realms, he set a kind of a curtain, a kind of a firmament. And God, on the seventh day, he crowned himself enthroned himself as the king of kings of all of his creation, delighting in his creation, sitting down upon the throne of his creation in the eternal day of rest. The heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool, God declares. All glorious over all of his creation. Symbolically, the sky above, the stars, the, the, the things that we see in the sky, symbolically they they, they, they refer to God's dwelling place where God lives in unapproachable life. The story begins to roll when God announces his covenant, the promise of life or death in the context of a great trial, a great trial by ordeal. The story begins by by an expression of not just this is the state of things, but an expression of God's desire. God's desire to be their God and that they will be his people. And this desire is answered by mankind. In the words of the psalmist, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What Paul, Paul is, is tapping into in this word inheritance is this longing that is at the core of our being as human beings. As every human being. This is at the core of who we are. This longing to be with God to be with God in glory. And so, Paul says that the plan for the fullness of time was to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the fulfillment of the longing of every human being. 
all is triggering something so deep that you're often not aware of it. In fact, you can't be fully aware of it until you're actually tasting it. It's something that is often buried deep into our subconscious and is only made alive as we taste of the riches of the gospel. Like I spoke last week about uh, the tragedy of someone that is caught up in a cult, not even aware that they are being oppressed, not even aware of the abuse, in fact, longing for more of that same oppression and abuse. But that's not an extreme example. That is what, that is what characterizes the world under curse. It's not a normal example, but it's not an extreme example. Our longings that are designed to be for God, to be, to be with Him, to be in His presence, in communion with Him, in grace and glory, those longings, because of the fall, they are twisted downward, twisted inward. Instead of longing for Him, we long for idols. But it is longing for glory, nonetheless. And the evidence of this is every good story. So every, every good story that we encounter, every good movie, every good play, every good drama, gets a longing from us, doesn't it? It's evidence that this has not died in us. It's still there. It needs to be directed to where it ought to go, to longing for glory, not our own, but God's. So as we look at this text, the first thing that uh, we need to understand is what this inheritance is. How does this inheritance become the climax of the story for Paul? What is this inheritance? Well, an easier way to start with this question is whose inheritance is it? I'll let you, invite you to come into my library for a moment because this is a little bit of a, a scholarly debate. Um, it's not a complicated scholarly debate. It's really quite simple. The question is, who is receiving the inheritance? Now, as we read in our ESV, it seems quite clear that we are those who receive the inheritance. It's actually not quite that simple. And if you turn over to an NIV text, for example, the inheritance is actually God's. So which is it? Okay. Let's pick up this book over here. This scholar says, obviously, the inheritance is ours. He goes along with the ESV. The inheritance is ours because this, in the context here, is talking about adoption. And isn't, isn't the, the isn't the inheritance in, in the context of adoption belong to those who are adopted, right? And plus, in the Old Testament, as the children of Israel are brought into the land of their inheritance, it belongs to them. This was the land of their inheritance, and it was a symbol of God's presence and God's blessing. So clearly, the inheritance is ours. Besides that, God says to Abraham, I am your reward. 
At the end of this text, we read about the Holy Spirit as the down payment of our inheritance. The down payment is ours. The Holy Spirit is given to us. So the inheritance must be ours. Do you all agree? Well, before you agree, let's go to the other book. The book that supports the NIV. Now, their argument is, uh, the context here is about what God does. This is what we've been reading about ever since verse 3. What God does. So clearly, God is the one who takes possession. It's God's inheritance. Besides that, in the Old Testament, Israel is constantly referred to as God's inheritance. So when this word is used, inheritance, is calling these texts from the Old Testament referred to Israel as God's inheritance. Like Pastor Micah talked about redemption last week, the redemption out of Egypt, God's purchasing his people. God declares to his people in Exodus 19, you shall be my treasured possession from all the peoples. And then if we read down a little bit, verse 18, it says, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Clearly, this is God's inheritance. So which side are you on? Well, actually, I think that there's no reason to choose sides. I think that it's very possible that God had both, that Paul had both of these in mind when he wrote this word. Let me give you an example that may help clarify this. So, there's a couple who is about to be married. In fact, tomorrow is the wedding day. They've been waiting for, they've been engaged for a year, they've been waiting for this day. And the guy is out with his friends the night before, and he says to his friends, you know what? I just can't believe it. Tomorrow, I will have the woman of my dreams. Interestingly, the same conversation is going on a mile away. The, the bride-to-be is getting together with her friends. And the bride says to her friends, I can't believe it. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I am going to have the man of my dreams. See, there's no reason to choose sides here because the inheritance is both. We belong to God. God belongs to us. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is God. God is God for us and us for God. So that's why inheritance for Paul it works as a climax because inheritance is not a thing. Inheritance is what we possess in relationship to God. Inheritance is I will be their God. I will belong to them. And they will be my people. They will belong to me. Inheritance is that which was put into Adam and Eve's heart right from the beginning as their chief longing of union and communion with God and grace and glory, to quote our catechism. And these two relational models are brought together in this text. The relational model of marriage 
and then what we all, what Pastor Micah talked about before in adoption. The relational model of belonging to one another. And this is not, this just didn't happen, by the way. This was actually a part of the design of creation. When God created Eve from Adam, he presented her to him, and he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God was showing how two separate people could become one. This was this design and creation that marriage should point us to understanding what, what, that it's possible somehow to have union and communion with God without mixing God and creation. This is a longing that must be a longing in confidence. It's not a longing in anxiety where we're biting our fingernails, wondering what's going to happen. Paul wants us to be comforted in this longing. To have our longing stoked, but have it stoked in great confidence. God has a certain plan, and we can long in this certainty. Verse 11, you have already obtained. It's past tense. What Christ obtained in his work belongs to us. What Christ accomplished belongs to us. If Christ is an heir of God, if Christ inherits God, we inherit God. We are co-heirs with Christ. What Christ already accomplished puts the stamp of history on certainty. All that was looked forward to from the beginning of the covenant was accomplished in Christ. There is now no more uncertainty about whether man is going to mess it up or not because it is accomplished. It is finished. And most of all, Christ, because of Christ's work, the Holy Spirit, this down payment, is poured out upon his people. This certainty that we have because of the Holy Spirit's presence with us. So Paul wants to establish the certainty of longing. But he goes beyond that. He goes beyond the certainty of what Christ accomplished, the certainty of how that is going to be applied, how that is applied in the life of the church. He talks about how we were brought in, and then how you will be brought in. This plan of God doesn't stop with what Christ accomplished. It is a predestination of not just what Christ would accomplish and do. It is predestination of all of the elects being gathered together. And not just a bunch of elect people, but the elect church, a perfectly proportioned body. Not one hair out of place. That is what this certainty 
of predestination refers to. Paul is setting before us a vision, a vision of supreme beauty, glory, glory. It's not an abstract idea. It is this, this certainty of God's perfect plan being worked out in the full completion of the church, the church as Christ's body, the fullness of him, which fills all in all. But it goes beyond that, even. This certainty goes beyond that, and I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit here. And if you get lost, please just hold your breath for a couple of minutes, and we'll come up. This certainty is a certainty that is expressed, is, is expressed by a God who is outside of history. Now, our minds just can't fathom anything outside of time. We, we, can, we can fathom time travel, we can experiment with going backwards and forwards in time, but we can't fathom being outside of time. And yet this is what God is. This is the certainty with which the plan is that he established. If you look at this word predestination, the immediate idea that comes up to us is of something that is planned earlier and carried out later in time. And that leads us in the wrong direction. Because God didn't just plan something at the beginning and then in his sovereignty work it out in every detail along the way. God made his plan outside of time outside of history. So this, this idea of uh, predestination, if you think of it in terms of before, that's the, the pre, actually in Greek it's pro, but uh, it has the same connotation in English, the way we use before in two different ways, or the two ways that we use before. So there's one way of before is something that happens before something else, that is a temporal before. You're still holding your breath, right? Then there's the before that is actually in front of you. That is a spatial before. And that's the idea of something like what um, perhaps the, the generals of Russia presented to the president of Russia. They presented a plan. They put a plan before the president. And the president looks at the plan, and he approves it. Of course, it's not at all what happened in God's sense, but the idea is that God had a plan that was presented before him. He is outside of time. His plan is for time. He creates time, and nothing is left to chance. It's absolutely, it's absolutely fundamental to Paul that nothing be left to chance because God's glory is associated with perfection of his plan. And God is behind all things, and chance can't be behind God. So God is working out all things according to the plan. His glory is connected to the plan. But at the same time, in this text, he talks about things that happened before, things that happened after. And what Paul is hinting at is that God entered into a relationship 
with history in time such that every moment of time matters. So our longing incorporates not just the end of time, but it incorporates every moment of time. Paul summarizes his own life by saying, having nothing, yet possessing everything. Oh, did I tell you you can come up for here now? Paul talks about what it means to possess the Holy Spirit as a down payment. It is having nothing and yet possessing everything. This is what the Christian life is all about. It's not a tricky way of thinking. It's actually a very concrete reality of what of what it means to have a down payment that provides us with absolute certainty, but waiting for its fulfillment in the future. The down payment is is a uh, in this sense, it is something that is part of the ultimate reality. So when you when you make a down payment on a home, you give the person. You can tell me if this is right or not. You make a down payment. You 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 give some money, and that money becomes part of the cost that you will pay on the house. Is that right? Throw some money. So too, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a person, as a down payment on the full reality that will be ours in the consummation. It is not like a whip, it's not like an engagement ring. An engagement ring is, is something that is separate from the actual marriage relationship itself. Rather, the down payment is something that belongs within the relationship. And so to have the Holy Spirit as a down payment is to possess Christ. But there is still more. And this is, this is the kind of longing that Paul is instilling in us of having and yet longing for more. It's the kind of, it's the kind of longing that, you, that you, you have when you take your first bite of chili pan mi or whatever it is that that you, that is um, like your favorite food or whatever, your favorite ice cream, is that first bite is like, oh, I want to eat all of it. That's the kind of longing that Paul is instilling in us. In our life, every pain becomes a longing for the absence of pain. The more severe the pain is felt, the greater the longing is for it to end. You know, the, the Ukrainians today have a longing for peace that they never had a week ago. It is in this great agony that the longing is cultivated, is put on fire. And so too for us. You know, if, if you are if you want to be a, a Zen master, then Christianity is probably not the place for you. Because as Christians, we, 
we live in the moment, we experience, we feel the pain because the pain is what gives us a greater longing. Every delight for us is a delight with hope for more. If you look into a Christian's face who is weeping, you look into a face of hope that is longing. If you look into a Christian face that is smiling, you look into a face of wistful joy, a born to come. And so Paul is desiring to feed our true longing. When I was a teenager, um, I had a dream to become a famous footballer. Well, maybe not famous in the world, but at least famous in my school. And this was, this was a really consuming longing for a while. What are your longings? Now that longing was a longing for glory. It was my own glory. There's no, no justification for it. It was a longing to see, you know, my friends you know, come and, and, and just you know, pick me up, making the last goal, the final championship game, the girls flocking around me. It was a longing of idolatry. It was a longing nonetheless. And that longing twisted downward. It twisted inward. And it needed to be lifted up. It needed to be pointed towards my maker, the one who is all glorious in what he created, the one who is all glorious in the plan that he made, the one who is all glorious in inviting me to participate in his glory. Instead, it turned into a place of shame, into a hidden place, into a dark place. Suppress longing, turn to shame, cover. Some of us have become so practiced in suppressing our longings that we're practically walking dead, hiding our shame. Paul wants us to take our longings and point them towards God pointing towards fellowship with God. And that's what worship does for us. This is worship for Paul. He is writing about worship. He's writing about his own experience of worship, and he's inviting us to come and worship with him. He's a worship leader, worship leader like Luke, drawing us into, into an experience of worship with him. And he's saying that worship will untwist your longings. They will take those longings that are pointed inward and pointed downward. It will take them and point them upward. It is worship that puts our longings on fire, feeds them, stokes them. What is promised in ages past is now our unbreakable possession, right? We long for more. We still see, see Christ through a 
class character. We, we long for face to face. And that's what worship does for us as we gather together. It tantalizes our taste. And that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is, is to meet us in worship, to give us a taste of what is our possession. And we come to worship with that expectation that the Holy Spirit will meet us in worship and will give us a taste of heaven. Now, for those of you who are caught up in worship today, maybe that sounds like your experience. Remember, there's still face to face. There's more. For many of us coming to worship today, it feels tired. It feels like we're just saying the words. It feels, maybe at the end of the day, in a long sermon, like, can we just get on with it? Can we just get to the benediction? Friends, for you, this is a picture of a longing. We want more. We want what is real. We want, we want this, this interaction with God, fellowship with him. And it seems so shallow right now. Don't let it drive you to, to despair. Tell your soul, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Express to God your longing for fullness. And he says, open your mouth wide. I'll fill it. Flowing from our worship. We have a community where we have an obligation towards one another to arouse this bond, to purify it, to focus it, to delight in it. Maybe that's what you can do in your home. In witness, as we talk to people, we are tapping, talk to any human being, talking to them about what, what God promises us in Christ. We're tapping into their deepest longing. In suffering, remember that the agony of waiting for glory intensifies, intensifies our longing for glory. Faced with frustration, this week there will be moments of frustration. You have a choice. You have a choice in those moments of frustration. Are you going to turn to anger? Or are you going to use that, those frustrating circumstances to place you in, a, in an attitude of longing for glory? Take those frustrations, allow them to, to rec recognize them, allow them to uh, Go into your, into your being and say, this frustration is a reminder of a life under curse. It hurts. It makes me upset. And it reminds me that this curse is not forever. So join with me on Jordan's strong banks as sin. 
and cast a wish for to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. I am bound to the promised land. For all those wide extended plains shines one eternal day. Their God, the sun, forever reigns and scatters night away. I am bound for the promised land. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my father's face and in his bosom rest? I am bound.